0: Well, good morning, and uh, I'm excited. I thank you all uh, for so many of you who have expressed your excitement um, that uh, this day has finally arrived. Uh, it's just um, such an honor to be here to be able to present this study to you. It's been in work for 18 months, and um, God has done a lot of things uh, through my life, and. Um, I'm just so thankful for all the people who have been supporting me through this and praying for it and really praying for you. And that's really where uh, I'm coming from this morning. I have prayed over this study and prayed over you and receiving it, and I continue to pray that you'll receive from it all that the Lord has for you and enjoy it as well. And uh, Hebrews 6.1 says, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity and so it's my prayer that this study will take us deeper to mature our understanding and grow us in sanctification. And I hope that by the end of the study you'll be able to confidently answer two questions. one is what is the abundant life in Christ and am I living in it and that'll be my sort of a mark of, of not my success but a mark of success for us going through this study if we can answer those confidently. It's also my prayer that you'll stick with us for the whole six weeks because the study has been prepared in a building block approach to make the case for the abundant life in Christ. And so each week builds on the previous week. And you'll get so much more out of it if you can participate uh, in all six weeks of it. And um, the page three in your workbooks, um, and I want to thank Krista and Josh for... Uh, the beautiful cover that they pulled together. This has really been a team effort. Uh, A lot of people have gone into actually assembling this book, pulling it together. On page three, uh, you'll see the six lessons that are planned for each week that are going to take us from the abundant life um, that God created for us in the the garden to the loss of that life and the restoration of that abundant life in full. Also on the inside cover, you have a calendar um, that that, uh, will tell you the obviously the date that we're meeting, and then the preparation for that. And so this study is, is different than um, studies we've done here in recent years where so often you will, for next week, you will read ahead and you'll do um, you know, next, you know, the material that, of next week. Actually, we're going to stay for a whole week. We're going to stay where we are. So as I present today, you're going to go to your groups and discuss what's presented today, and then you're going to do some homework about what's presented today. And that's going to be your preparation for the next time. So you're not reading ahead into the week two material. And if you have any questions about that, your group leaders will be able to answer that. I I really do think that it will be very, very apparent. Um, There's not much homework. um, And that's by design, because I really want us to be able to spend some time um, chewing on the material and, uh, and thinking about its applications in our lives. Scripture is, of course, the foundation of this study. and then after that the majority of the material um, after, after the majority being scripture, the majority of the material are quotations from various um, authors whose commentaries and insights God has used in my life to reveal these biblical truths to me. And, um, and I pray, of course, as part of the study that they are going to be uh, they're going to speak to you as they have spoken to me. The sources for all that material is listed in the back, uh, the very back of, of your um, books. Uh, for, for future reference if you'd like that. Um, all the quotations that are contained in the study are copyright protected, and so um, you can't make any copies of this material um, without getting copyright permissions as I did. Uh, finally, on, on an administrative note, you do have most of the material. Uh, in fact, almost all all of the material that will be presented, you have it all here. Um, that was something uh, that I... But I settled with the Lord. Um, you know, he wanted you to have all this material rather than uh, missing a week perhaps and then not having something or um, thinking, oh, you know, what was on the slide? Can I get those slides? You have it here. And so you could, you can follow along. As I present material, you can follow along. But but one caution is I don't want you to be distracted where there might be something in the book that I didn't put on a slide or there might be something on the slide that's not actually in the book. There's not a lot of that. Uh, relatively speaking but um, I just I don't want you to be distracted thinking oh where is she what page is she on you know asking your neighbor Um, so by all means follow along take notes um, but uh, but don't let it become a distraction to you Um, the the way that it's structured is you'll have a uh, the week's worth of presentation followed by some suggested discussion questions for your groups and then you'll have the homework listed and then you'll have a couple of blank pages to journal and, um, and I definitely hope you'll take advantage of that. And uh, again, if you have any questions, I think it will all, all become apparent. Um, now if you'll follow along with me from page two in, in the introduction, I'm actually going to read this. Ephesians 1:19: "I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And this following quote was written by Hannah Whittall Smith to her readers. It was actually in 1870. That 1875 was a mistake. I apologize. But um, Maybe you can relate to these sentiments, or maybe you know someone who can, but I pray that this study will grow you in living in the surpassing greatness of his power toward us. All of God's children, I am convinced, feel instinctively in their moments of divine illumination that a life of inward rest and outward victory is their inalienable birthright. How easy it seemed to be more than conquerors through him that loved you. And yet, to many of you, how different has been your real experience. Christ is believed in, talked about, and served, but he is not known as the soul's actual and very life, abiding there forever and revealing himself there continually in his beauty. You have found Jesus as your Savior from the penalty of sin, but you have not found him as your Savior from its power. When all those declarations were made concerning his coming and the work he was to accomplish, Did they mean only this that you have experienced? Was there a hidden reserve in each promise that was meant to deprive it of its complete fulfillment? Did delivering us out of the hand of our enemies mean that they should still have dominion over us? Did enabling us always to triumph mean that we were only to triumph sometimes? Did being made more than conquerors through him that loved us mean constant defeat and failure? Now that the penalty has taken off, think you it is possible that the unchangeable God has so given up his antipathy to sin as that a redeemed man now may perseveringly indulge under the new arrangement in that which under the old destroyed him? The cross of Christ, by the same might and decisive stroke wherewith it moved the curse of sin away from us, also surely moves away the power and the love of it from over us. And I started with this quote uh, to challenge us to think about how mature our understanding is at this point as we begin the study and maybe do a comparison at the end. Um, So to begin with, uh, also in your introduction, back on the first page, I include a a, a definition of the word abundant that I want us to just all be on the same page with. And in the Greek, parason, it means exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure, Considerably more than one would expect or anticipate, and it's that beyond measure, more than you could considerably more than what you could anticipate. That's the that's the uh, understanding I want you to carry through this study. uh, Whenever you hear that term abundance or we think about it, and then uh, next in the introduction um, or finally in the introduction, I include four foundational verses for our study that um, I just want us to each uh, all recite together each week. And uh, Terry made a good point in our leaders' meeting this morning. You have on the beautiful cover, you have John 10.10. 10. Uh, it's the second half of John 10.10, and this is a, uh, comes from the New King James. Um, in, in my chart, you'll see in a moment, I have a slightly different version because it comes from my ESV, but this is the one we're going to go with. Uh, so let's right now, let's just all recite John 10.10. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The next one, read with me. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And John 15.4 Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And finally, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Thank you. That was really beautiful to hear. After all my preparations, it was beautiful to hear all those voices. Uh, Well, let's begin now with week one created flesh and spirit. And from the beginning, God intended abundant life for us. Genesis 1.26 tells us, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created man. Of course, we are not begotten of him. But he created us very deliberately in his image and in his likeness so that we would be superior to all his creation. So that we would have an abundance of life beyond all the rest of his creation from the very beginning. Um, The following following information uh, comes from a teaching that Pastor Gary did back in 2011 in Genesis chapter 2 that God's likeness in Hebrew means pattern God's pattern is the trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, man's pattern is a trinity. And we are a trinity of body, soul, and spirit. And we we see in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Additionally, God's image in Hebrew means essential nature. God's essential nature is spirit. We know that from Jesus saying in John four twenty four, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And one Peter 4.6 says, live in the spirit the way God does. And therefore our essential nature is as a spiritual being. And this is really important for us to you know really spend just a few minutes taking in. Um, I know so often for myself, you know, I can read things like this and kinda of nod and say, Yeah. But to really think that our essential nature is in our spirit the thing that we don't even see, that is our essential nature and the essential way that we relate to our God. And so we were created deliberately to know God. Next, um, God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And this breath of life comes from the Hebrew word kai'in, which means lives, it's in the plural, and so our life comes from his triune life. And it's the same word, life, as you can imagine, life has many meanings in scripture. It's the same meaning for the word life that's used in the tree of life, and the book of life, and living water, and it's that, that deep and rich sense of living, of energy and purpose, and uh, far beyond just existing. And so it means more than just a beating heart and a functioning brain. Job 32.8 says, It is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty God, that gives them understanding. And God gave man the garden. He said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. So God made us dependent on him for all of life for our spirit, for our soul, and our body. I like this verse Job 34, 14-15. If he should determine to do so, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish, and man would return to dust. And And it gives me that, that greater sense of dependence on him. Well, we need to uh, do some more vocabulary, so we need to uh, understand um, that well, I'm sorry, there's that point, that living independent of God would lead to death. We need to, um, first, first spiritually and then physically. And we've heard a couple times now the term flesh, but we need to um, really dig into this now. And, and, and like the word life, flesh has many meanings, both in the Hebrew and in, in the Greek. Um, but the one that we're going to focus on for the purposes of this study is the flesh that means the appetites or desires of the flesh. And the flesh meaning both body and soul. So our physical our thought and reason, our will and emotion." And in the Greek, um, with the philosophers of the day, they took this idea of appetites of the flesh, things that come from the flesh, they uh, kind of expounded on it to mean merely of human origin or empowerment. And that is important for us to, to grasp that and remember that. You might tab this page in your books because it refers to the earthly nature of man, apart from the divine influence, And therefore, prone to sin and opposed to God. In the NIV um, Bible, it actually then uses the term "sin nature" interchangeably with the term "flesh" in this context. And it's my understanding that's the only Bible version that uses that term "sin nature," and that in fact the newer versions of the NIV are going back to the word "flesh." But 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 I expect a number of you have the the, uh, the NIV, and so when you see "sin nature," think "flesh." And so to be in the flesh is to be acting or living in the power of the sin nature that we inherited from Adam and acting on human desires and inhuman effort. Heart uh, can also at times refer to the flesh and the sin nature as we know from Jesus saying in, in Matthew 15 for out of the heart come evil thoughts. These are what defile a person. And so again in this context heart means flesh. And so, by virtue of being God's creation, flesh is good, like all other parts of God's creation. At the same time, flesh, as dependent on God, is frail and transitory, and as weak becomes a gateway to sin. And no doubt you're all familiar with the verse uh, from Matthew 26 when Jesus said to his disciples, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And it's okay that our flesh is weak. We were made that way. But Peter tells us to abstain from fleshly lusts. He says, I urge you to abstain from fleshly lusts. So now we have a new term here, and that's lust. In the Greek, it means focused on passionate desire. Uh, I actually like the Latin, which is appetitus, To desire, have a taste for. And you'll see me reference that um, That that Latin verse a little bit more uh, because I think it gives us a good picture you know of what we're uh, what we're challenged with and it and it uh, it's kinda consistent with a lot of the biblical imagery that we'll see so we were introduced to the appetites of the flesh in Genesis 3 6 and 7 and then those get defined for us in 1 John two sixteen that for everything in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world The woman saw that the fruit was good for food, that desire to satisfy the body, and pleasing to the eye, that desire to own or possess, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And that's that desire to become godlike or exalted. And in themselves, satisfying our body, looking upon something that is beautiful, that God created, and certainly desiring wisdom, all of the book of Proverbs essentially is about wisdom, those are good things when offered by God. But if not, then desire, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And Adam and Eve, in disobedience to God, did act on the temptation to gratify for themselves the appetites and desires of their flesh, What the world was offering, forbidden fruit, possession, exaltation, apart from the abundance of what God was offering them. And that was his provision and his wisdom and goodness himself. Well, we know from Pastor Gary's teachings that sin is falling short of God's standard of holiness, and holiness is being set apart from the world. And Peter was quoting God. From Leviticus, when he said, "Be holy, because I am holy." But Hosea ten thirteen tells us, "You and, he, and God, of course, was talking to the Israelites in their sin. You have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten of the fruit of deception, because you have depended on your own strength." <laughs> and Romans eight eight tells us that those from the flesh cannot please God. It doesn't say, often don't please God. It doesn't say, we'll sometimes be challenged to please God. It says we cannot please God if we're in the flesh. And the verse 7 prior to that is, we cannot do it because we will not submit to God. And so, we're told, in Galatians 6-9, that whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. If we reread that, whoever sows to please their body... To please their mind, to please their will, to please their emotions, will reap destruction. And for Adam and Eve, that destruction was death. And it meant forsaking the abundance of all that God offered Himself through fellowship with Him, and His abundant provision through the garden. Well, we know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This was the outcome that He wanted. And what was that lie that he caused Eve to believe? That first lie. That God was withholding his abundance from them by not allowing them to eat of one tree in the garden. But in truth, they had all of God. So Romans chapter 6 tells us that the body is ruled by sin. The spiritually dead body is ruled by sin. That we can be slaves to sin. That we should not let it reign in us. And to be enslaved to something means that it has a power over us. And so when sin entered the world, it came with a power to exert in us, and that's in nature, um, a desire to act independently of God. Now, I think it's important for us to um, think about how we are tempted, because all of us are, uh, even believers. We always have been, we always will be lured by those same three temptations that Eve first experienced. Jesus was subjected to the same three by the enemy many centuries later. Um, We get that in Matthew 4, 1 through 11 where he was tempted to turn a stone into bread to satisfy his body. Where he was tempted to look upon all the kingdoms of the world and desire to possess them. Where he was tempted to throw himself off the temple and, and and have angels catch him. So we want to be clear about temptation and the source of it. And James 1 tells us, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And I wasn't going to linger here, but God impressed on me, and the Holy Spirit impressed on me, that uh, this would be a good time to dispel the misunderstanding about a very common uh, statement that, um, um, that we hear, and maybe some of us have used. And that is when people say God never gives us more than we can handle. That is not scriptural. That is not anywhere in the Bible. I remember the first time I heard it was at a memorial service for my husband. And he had just been killed in a helicopter crash and I was four and a half months pregnant and someone said this to me. Remember, God never gives us more than we can handle. And and don't you know, my first reaction was so because... I'm strong. I got, you know, I got this because I can handle it. And of course, I knew that was a ridiculous thought. And, and yet if you take that thought to conclusion, that's what it meant to me. And, uh, and I heard it said just recently again. And, and again, that is not scriptural. The verse I think that most people think they're referring to is 1 Corinthians 10.13. And it says, No temptation has overtaken you. Accept what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God's giving us a way out of temptation. That is not a place he wants us to be. Remember Matthew twenty-six forty-one. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're to pray against even being tempted. And remember the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. And finally, 1 Timothy 6, 9, 11. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, but flee from these things and pursue righteousness. We are to flee from temptation. Seek a way out. um, Receive that from the Lord. So don't mistake uh, temptation for trial. James 1, 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, having stood the test. There's no fleeing here. There's no way out. We have to stand. And um, and God absolutely does give us more than we can handle. Because it's his power that's made perfect in our weakness. More to come on that in chapter four, lesson four, but... Um, but I did want to clear up that misconception. So, every day our flesh is enticed by the world and its ruler to think and to act in ways to satisfy our fleshly appetites and our desires apart from what God has decreed and from what God provides. And the only way we can avoid acting independent of God is to first recognize when our flesh is being tempted and to know what God has said about things that are opposed to him. And the things that tempt us and the desires of our flesh can be so subtle and so disguised. And, and therein lies, again, a, a large part of our challenge. Uh, so thankfully, God has given us Scripture to make it all very clear. And uh, you guys can tell me if this is all very clear or not. Galatians 5, 19, 20 The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Um, I'm not so sure that selfish ambition is always that obvious or dissensions or factions. And Mark 7:21, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, Adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. I think those last two are enormous catch-all, for me anyway. I'm not so sure I always know what arrogance and folly look like in my own life. And lest there be any uh, concern that something wasn't captured in those first two, Titus 3.3 tells us that one time we too were foolish, disobedient, Deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So I think that captures it all, all kinds of passions and pleasures. Um, So again, very subtle, disguised, those appetites that we have. And behind every act is an appetite, is a desire to be satisfied, to possess, to be exalted. And we will, in self-gratifying reasoning and effort, we will seek any number of things. Pleasure and comfort, security and certainty, ownership and independence, excitation and adoration, vindication, affirmation, and I'm sure there are many more uh, words that are coming to mind for you all. And so I've given you a homework assignment for this week uh, that ties these two together. Um, those acts of the flesh and the desires behind them. And this is just a, a sampling. Um, I want you to think about in your own life You know what you see to be the desires behind those acts. And so um, let me summarize. Man created flesh and spirit, was meant to be dependent on God, our creator, for all life, receiving all the abundance of his provision according to his will, trusting his wisdom and goodness, and sharing in his fellowship. And we were made to have intimate relationship with God through our spirit, For the flesh is nothing without the spirit, and that the power of sin entered the world through self-gratification and disobedient acts of the flesh. And the power of sin works in all men's hearts, prompting us daily to satisfy the desires of our flesh and live by our own provisions, our own will and in our own wisdom, apart from God. Um, I have a final thought to share with you that, that the Lord impressed on me as I was um, reading through Proverbs. He he actually did this many times throughout these eighteen months, and I kept. I don't, I wasn't necessarily resisting, but um, I just maybe I couldn't think of where to put it. And then finally, um, on the twenty seventh, he said this: "This is where I want it." Um, and and after this, uh, Krista has one announcement before we break up into our groups. I also want to leave you with this thought too um, if your flesh doesn't feel like returning in two weeks um, <laughs> ask God what he would have for you
1: <clears throat> Proverbs
0: 27.7 one who is full loves honey but to one who is hungry everything bitter is sweet if we're full of ourselves our desires, our wisdom and our efforts we will reject and even hate what God offers. But if we hunger for Him, we will enjoy His abundance, even in trial and deprivation.